Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. We will hop right in. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, thank you so much for gathering. Uh, We don't give gifts to the pastor every week, nor should we. But I really want to thank you guys so much. That means the world to me and my family that you guys would be serving us behind the scenes to get us a gift. And we want to thank you so much. It's a joy to love you, to serve you, and to be your uh, pastor. Uh, I want to give you a brief couple announcements, and then we're going to jump right into the text for today. Um, So a couple announcements is first, just our core values. We've got three of them and we love them. It's gospel, community, and mission. And we do that, we say that every time we gather because it's so important that we know why we gather. We gather because God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And how does he do that? It's not through your good deeds or effort. It's through what God has done for us in Jesus. He lived a perfect life, one that we can't. He died in our place where we should have, and he rose from the grave. And we, we trust in that. We enter into a relationship with God where he pours out his blessings on us. And that's what we just sang about. How great are you, God? And we see that on display in the gospel. Second value is community. Listen, a lot of us in this church didn't know each other before we planted this church two years ago. We wouldn't call each other friends even beforehand, but now we're more than friends, we're a family. And if you're new, we want to invite you into this family. So regardless of who you voted for, what you believe right now, we want you to uh, enter into this community and explore the teachings of Jesus and Christianity and to see this personal God on display. And then last is mission. We want to take this goodness of Jesus. And guys, we've got to share this with our friends and our neighbors because he's the hope and life for us. One quick announcement is that we've got our foster care and adoption seminar November the 6th. And so if you're familiar with our church, that's one of the initiatives that we took on early on, that we would love our city. And what's it look like to love our city? We love those who might have been forgotten or not cared for. And so our church as a whole is stepping in to say, how do we better provide foster homes or adoptive homes for the least vulnerable in our, or the most vulnerable in our city? And so if you're maybe interested in in, uh, foster care or adoption yourself, or maybe how to support a family in our church who is pursuing that. Really want to encourage you guys to come to this seminar. It's network-wide. There's four COA churches, and we're all going to gather to learn more about what this looks like. Enough with announcements. Let's move right into our text because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. In fact, guys, we're going to spend two weeks on this one passage because it's so important. And so with that said, if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. And if you're new with us again, we've been traveling through this book of Ephesians where we're learning about a church plant that's a lot like ours. They're in a really big urban area. There's lots of people from different ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures, and they're coming together underneath the gospel. And the church planting pastor was this guy named Paul, and he's writing to this church while he himself is in prison. And he's telling them about all the blessings and the love that God has for them and what the Christian life looks like. And so he's teaching this new church how to walk out their faith. And that's why we're covering this book because we're a new church learning how to walk out our faith. So if you found that, we're in Ephesians chapter two and we're gonna start in verse 11. Paul says this, "'Therefore remember that at one time "'you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision.'" 
by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time, and then he gives a list here, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Then here's how he concludes this section. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, this is such a, a heavy weighty passage that talks a lot about unity in you. The only way God, we can have unity with one another is if we understand the unity that we have with you and what you did to break down the hostile wall of sin that separated us from you. So God, help us to begin to grasp this week really what you did and what you went through to bring us into relationship with yourself so that we can live that out in the world around us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, do you guys remember the hit TV show, uh, Extreme Home Makeover? Do you guys remember that show? I might've said that wrong. Extreme Makeover Home Edition, I think is what the name is. Um, but it was hosted, I think I got a picture of it. You remember this show? Uh, 2003 is when it came out. It was hosted by this guy named Ty Pennington. And at the start of each episode, you hear about some family's heartbreaking story of challenges and setbacks and tragedy. So the first couple of minutes, you guys are already like, your eyes are like, uh, you know, welling up with tears, just watching the first couple of minutes, hearing these stories. Well, then Ty would show up to this family's house in this massive tour bus. He would hop out and knock on the door. Surprise! We're going to do extreme home makeover for you guys as a gift of love, support, and care for that family. Now, over the course of the episode, you would see this fantastic crew of volunteers and professional contractors and designers, and of course, Ty. And he would take this terrible house and he would turn it into a beautiful home. And the stories of transformation from season one were so captivating that it took suburban America by storm and the show ran such high ratings all the way from 2003 all the way to 2012 and even made a comeback last year. Listen, people love transformation stories. And today the Apostle Paul serves like Ty Pennington. He's retelling Christians their transformation stories story. Two times in the passage we just read, he tells us to remember. Remember our heartbreaking backstory of challenges and setbacks and tragedy before our relationship with Jesus. 
And then he goes on to explain that God, through the gospel message, caused or created an extreme makeover in us and through us. So this extreme makeover illustration fits so well today in our message that with permission, you know, I borrowed it from a pastor, Matthew McCraw, along with our points from today's text, because it all fits together in this one illustration. And you'll see why at the very end, when Paul talks about a built foundation on Christ that builds a temple together. So I know it's going to seem a little cheesy for us to use a metaphor, the whole entire sermon of this extreme makeover, but you'll see why as we keep going through this sermon. Uh, guys, over the next two weeks, we're going to cover this one passage. Uh, today, I'm really hoping to just sort of get the very top of the iceberg to see how it's designed, the structure of it, the point the author is trying to make. And then next week, we're really going to start getting into your heart and see what walls of hostility may have been arranged in you towards other people in your family or your neighbors or work or Facebook and what can God do to help break down that hostile wall? But this week, I want to show you the structure of this text. And I want to first point you to what Jesus did to break down the wall we had with him. And then once we understand that, we'll know how can God break down the walls in our hearts that we have towards other people and maybe their hard hearts and their walls against us. So here's we go. Here's the sort of the roadmap that we've seen so far in this book. Do you guys remember Ephesians chapter one? Um, Paul told us who we are in Christ in chapter one, what God has been doing since before the foundation of the world to bring us to Christ, and then how God blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in verse three. You guys remember that? That's the beginning of chapter one. And then chapter two, Paul begins to explain to Christians what we're saved from, what we're saved by, and what we're saved for. And then now Paul takes us down a deeper path to show us God's saving work to help to explain to us this extreme makeover that the gospel has done in our lives. And so just like we talked about at the very beginning of this episode on HGTV, we must first understand this and it's the backstory. We're gonna see a backstory. Now the backstory is knowing what happened before the transformation occurred. And so if you've seen this show, it always starts with something like there's a family with 12 kids and the dad just lost his job and someone passed away in the family. It's just a challenging set of circumstances from the very beginning of each episode. And for Paul, he starts this passage in a really similar way. He wants to make sure that the Ephesians are reminded of what life was like before Jesus transformed them. So let's again refresh yourself and look at verse 11 through 13. Let me read it to you. He says, hey guys, remember, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the group that's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And then he says again, he says, guys, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from a community of people. You were strangers to the, these blessings or this covenant of God. Remember, guys, we covered all of those blessings in like three weeks. Blessed be our God and Father. And then all of these blessings, right? You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. You've been redeemed. You guys remember all that, right? And he's saying, hey, Gentiles, you were cut off from all that. You didn't know what that was. Remember, you were separated, alienated, strangers to those blessings. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. 
Now, if you remember, Paul has already shared with us once about the backstory of the Ephesians, right? We saw it in chapter two. Do you guys remember that? In verses one through four, Paul spoke to us that they were, that this, this church, these people were at one time separated from God. They were stuck in sin. They were sentenced to God's justice for their sin and that the people were ensnared to follow their unwise and harmful impulses. Do you guys remember that? Well, well now Paul's doing something similar. He shared kind of one angle of their backstory, but now he's making it personal. He, he's helping them to see that, hey, Gentiles, you have a lot of conflict with these Jewish people and Jewish people, you have a lot of conflict with the Gentiles. And Gentiles, I want to speak to you for a moment is what Paul kind of does. He says, guys, I want to teach you, do you remember that this is what your life was like beforehand? You were separated from the hope that you have now. You were separated from this Jesus. In this community that you are now in, you didn't have one that was godly towards you or treated you with justice and, and care. They didn't care for the most vulnerable. You weren't in this spot. Remember the promises that we've talked about? You didn't have any of those. Remember the hope that you had in your job and your relationships that that was all of your hope? Remember how it didn't really end up in much? And remember how you didn't have God? That's where you were. And this is what God has done for you. That's what Paul is stirring up something in these Gentile Christians because he's also gonna stir something up in the Jewish Christians to make them more at home with one another. Paul is giving a specific recounting of their past as it relates to God's promises to the Jewish people. He's sharing this backstory from a different angle. Well, why would Paul care to do this? And why should the Ephesians even care about this? Well, if you guys remember the time of this writing, Christianity was like really new on the scene. Uh, from the Gentiles' perspective, uh, Christianity was like less than 50 years old. And at the time, Christianity is viewed sort of as a subset of the Jewish religion. And after all, the God whom we all worship is often referred to as the God of Abraham, right? The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who were all fathers of the Jewish faith. And so further, Paul is pointing out how Jewish people often look down on Gentile people, He's saying, guys, there's a problem in this church is what he's saying to the people at the Ephesian church. He's saying kind of all of the Jewish people sit on this side, all the Gentile people sit on this side, on the community groups for Tuesday and Wednesday, all the Jewish people meet together on Thursday and Friday, all of the Gentile people meet together. They have odds with each other. They're not really caring for each other's needs. The Jewish people are caring for their own needs. The Gentiles are caring for their own needs. And so what Paul's doing, is like, hey, let's pause for a minute. Let's remember where we all were before Christ. None of us were in a good spot. And so he's first lifting up, he's pointing to the Gentiles. Let me just show you where you were before Christ. And that's what he was doing in chapter two. He was putting up the Jewish people say, this is what you were beforehand. You were a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were separated. Do you guys remember when we kind of lifted up all that and that was kind of like really terrible, bad news? right? That's what he's doing. He's saying, Jewish people, you went first in chapter two. Let's remember where you were. And they say, hey, Gentiles, let's lift you up for a minute. Remember where you were beforehand. And guys, this is really important for us. Listen, because if you understand your backstory, you know how much grace you've been given so that you could give that grace to someone else. Listen, if you ever have conflict or trial with other people and you struggle to give grace, Please remember your own backstory of how God was gracious to you when you were hostile or far or rebellious to him. 
Think about the chasm that God jumped over to forgive and love you. And then think about what happened in your life. Now, listen, I don't want to downplay. Some of us in this room have maybe or online have really faced some really challenging situations. Some of you might have been neglected or God forbid, abused or something happened in your life. And still even in that hurt, God wants us to remember the backstory of our life and what he's done to have a relationship with him in order that we could even give grace and justice to those who have hurt us most. So that's what he's doing here in this text. He's reminding us of something here so that we can have unity with one another. And that's really what we're gonna spend all next sermon on. So I'm not gonna do a lot of that application at this point. Well, guys, we've got to, as we start off with this text, there's some awkward wording, right? Like no one wants to hear a sermon on circumcision. Anyone raise your hand? You want to hear a sermon on circumcision? Like nobody, nobody does, right? This is just awkward. But I want you to remember for a moment, circumcision was a physical sign of God's spiritual covenant with the Jewish people. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, talk to your community group leader. They would love to just talk with you all about that. I'm not gonna do that today. (laughs) Uh, Good luck, community group leaders. Uh, But it was a physical sign of God's spiritual covenant with the Jewish people. So for those who were not Jewish or not marked as God's covenant people, they were looked down on by those who were marked as God's covenant people. So calling someone uncircumcised, like this text was saying, was the ancient equivalent to someone saying, nana, nana, boo, boo, I am better than you. Like that's what's happening here. You've got the Jewish people that are mocking the Gentiles saying, oh, you're not circumcised. You're not special. You don't have the mark. And so they're just mocking each other with these derogatory terms. And Paul says in verse 11 and 12, hey, circumcision is just a, it's something that's done with your hands. It's like not extra spiritual. So he's trying to like negate that argument so that he can bring the gospel picture to them. So Paul is setting the stage to further help the Ephesian Gentiles understand what it's like to not be a part of God's family so that now they can understand how to act like God's family. Paul's gonna show them, hey guys, this is what God did for you. So therefore you do this to other people once you have understood it. So how does Paul do it? Paul, how does Paul navigate this early church conflict between these two groups here? Paul gives five descriptions, all back to back to back of what it was like for the Ephesians before their relationship with God. In verse 12, look at it. You can see all five. He says this, remember guys that at one time you were, number one, you were separated from a relationship with Christ. Number two, you were alienated or you were cut off or separated or disconnected from the commonwealth of Israel. The the Israel kind of worked like a state back then or like a whole nation. And so they had kind of like God as their president and they would have kind of kings and prophets and whatnot. And God would bless these people. And then through them, the world would be blessed. And so he's saying, hey, you're cut off from these people who had these laws for their own good. All the other nations had to come up, create their own laws, but God gave this nation some laws for their own flourishing, laws that protected the weak and vulnerable that other countries didn't have in place. So if you were a part of this nation, you like had it together. Like you wanted to be a part of this nation. It was like early on with American history, we had folks that wanted to come here for the American dream. And in a sense, back then, people wanted to come for the Israelite dream where they would have this God that led them out of slavery and led them by a cloud of fire and uh, 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 or a pillar of fire and a cloud by night. They wanted this God that gave laws to protect people. This is what people wanted. 
And Paul's saying, hey, remember that you were not a part of that family. The laws that were upon you were harmful to you and your community. You didn't have those things. Number three, it says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. All those blessings we talked about from chapter one, three through, four, three through 14, all of those blessings of being adopted and chosen and redeemed, they didn't have any of those blessings. And then four, they had no hope because all their hope was put into circumstantial, temporary things. And then five, they were without God in the world. Look at that resume. Separated, alienated, estranged, hopeless, godless. Man, Paul doesn't paint a really pretty backstory here. But just like we saw a few weeks ago in verse four of chapter two, there's a phrase that interrupts this terrible backstory. And it's this phrase, but God. This is the terrible circumstance that you were in, but God through Christ does something. And then that's what we see here in verse 13, the same interruption that he gave for the Jewish people. Now he's giving for the Gentile people. He says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, and then everything is about to change from here on forward. Everything has changed for the Gentiles who were separated, alienated, estranged, hopeless, and godless. In verse 13, Paul says, you who were once far away have been brought near, not by your effort, not by your deeds, not by your religiosity, not who you voted for, not how moral you were, not religion you followed. You were brought near by the blood or the work or the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul is pointing out that God did something amazing for these people when they were distant, far off, separated, alienated, estranged, hopeless, and godless. And guys, listen, if you can grasp where you were before Christ, and if you can remember what choices and what happened in your heart and what was going on in your life, if you can remember that, then you will be the most grace-filled person in the room. Because if you'll know what God forgave you from, then you can forgive anyone for what they did to you or how they might mistreat you or speak against you. And you know, kind of a, I, this kind of works out at work in different items, right? You kind of are close to the people that kind of think like you and have same values like you and they kind of uh, on the same team as you. But then you've got those supervisors, people at work that they kind of said something to you, rubbed you the wrong way. And then you begin to not really be as kind to them or spend time with them. You kind of like turn against them. But if you know how you rubbed God the wrong way with our sin and he stepped in and was gracious to us and forgave us and sacrificed for us to be forgiven. When you grasp your backstory, it changes everything. And that's what Paul is doing with this church, helping them know where you came from. So Cole Brighton, where did you come from? In your heart, what types of things were you involved in or doing? What sort of things happened in your own life and in your own heart? When we grasp that against God and we know how much he forgave we can forgive our spouse for cheating, for pornography. We for, can forgive our kids for rebellion and anger. We can forgive our mom and dad for neglect, lack of care. And we can enter into relationship with them, with boundaries and with some conversations, of course. But guys, this changes everything. Guys, in the room today, guys, what we want to have one day is people from all different backgrounds all different skin colors, all different experiences. We don't want just educated. We want all different types of folks in our church. Why? Because the gospel can bring us together. It can take 
a place like Boston with 5.8 million people in its metro area from people from all over the nations and God can unify us underneath his story of how he forgives and loves people. And if we are to be a part of this family, we must know our backstory so that we can create a future story with others in our city. Does that make sense? So it's helpful sometimes, guys, to remember what's your backstory? What happened in your life? So for some of you, you're like, man, I was saved when I was like seven. I became a Christian when I was seven. Then God didn't just save you from something. He saved you from even having a terrible experience. That's to be worshiped as well. You may not have this great glory story about how you were in jail and you know you were selling drugs to children or something like that, or you ran kids over school buses. Like, you know, that doesn't have to be your testimony for you to have some glorious testimony. God can save you at the age of five from all of those things. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's still a grace that God didn't just save you out of those things. He saved you from those things ever even happening. Does that make sense? If you get this backstory, it changes your future story in relationships. And that's what we see here. Paul is pointing out that God did something amazing for these people who were not just the Jewish people. Now, if you remember, guys, it was prophesied in the very beginning that God would choose a person and that through this person, all the nations would be blessed. Do you guys remember the story in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12? God picked this person, Abraham. His name was Abram at the time. And he was worshiping the moon God out in like the land of the Chaldeans. He wasn't even like worshiping God. And God found him where he was in his struggle and his sin. And God found him, revealed himself to him and began to tell him about this future Messiah that would die for the sins that he was committing now. And that through him, this Messiah would come through his generations. And that through that child, multitude of people would know God. And that is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12. God tells Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in God's redemptive time, we saw that through Abraham would come the line of Jesus. And in Jesus, we find all of these promises fulfilled that the nations would be blessed because the nations could hear about the savior that didn't just die for the Jews, but he died for the Gentiles. Gentile meaning non-Jewish. It means ethne, which means all the nations, all the ethnicities, that Jesus is a savior, not for just one people, but for all people. Let me ask you a question. Are you a people for all people or just people who look like you, vote like you, act like you? Are you like your savior in this? That you are a person of peace for all people or just people like you? Vote like you, vaccinated like you, unvaccinated like you, whatever the case may be. We see this through Jesus' life and death and resurrection that those like me and those like you who are far from God can be brought near by Jesus. Church, we must remember our backstory because it's in our backstory that God reorients our hearts to him and reshapes our hope for the future. Let me say that again. Listen, you can remember your backstory because it reorients your heart to the affections of what God has did for you personally. And then it reshapes the hope that you have for the future. When you think about where God has brought you from or rescued you from, that gives you great hope in how you interact with others.
That's the first thing is the backstory. The second thing we're gonna see is the actual gospel makeover. The gospel makeover that we see in verse 14 through 18. In the extreme makeover show, uh, you always see the process of the makeover of the house, don't you? Uh, Everyone comes together, creates this whole new beautiful creation that was once this destruction of a house into this beautiful home. And there are a lot of people that's involved in that happening in the show. But with the gospel makeover, there is only one party who's responsible for the transformation. And it's Jesus through our faith in him. So let's read about what God does in this makeover. Look at verse 13 through 18. We've seen the backstory. Now let's see the actual transformation. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who are near those commands or near that story about God. He's talking about the Jewish people, verse 18. And through him, we have both access and one spirit to the Father. In this section, Paul moves from talking about backstory to the transformation, and he focuses on the idea of peace. Guys, it's through Jesus that we not only have peace with God, but peace is even possible with others who we would have no peace with outside of God. Paul uses two powerful descriptions to describe what God has done. First, Paul says God made both groups one. The two groups that were at odds with each other as we've been talking about are the Jewish people and the Gentile people, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And they have been brought together. And Paul tells us they're no longer two, but because Christ died for all of their sins, they are now one. All of their identity went into Christ and then all of his identity went into them. And so now they are not just two types of people. They are now one in him. That's why Paul is so adamant about us understanding what it means to be in Christ. What his identity is, is now your identity. That doesn't mean you're God. It doesn't mean you're divine, but how God sees Jesus as righteous and blessed and all the blessings that we learn from chapter one are now yours. And it's every other Christians as well. Doesn't matter how educated, who they voted for, what you like about them whether they're more of a truth person versus more of a grace person, whether introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter. We are one in Christ because his identity is now ours. So to hate, listen, to hate another Christian is to hate God himself. Do you see what I'm saying? This is how serious it gets. If you and I are frustrated or irritated or want distance from another Christian, you are saying, therefore, God, what's yours? I don't want to have anything a part of. And that's why church is so meaningful, not just coming to a building, but the people. We are one body, we're one family together. God's identity in us. Guys, if you remember that movie, uh, Remember the Titans. I know I'm giving you some like old, early, you know, 2000 references today. Um, but if you remember the, the movie, the Remember the Titans, there's this uh, football team that becomes integrated, both white football players and black football players. And there was a lot of, initially, a lot of division in the team because of the different races and backgrounds and experiences. 
However, there's this moment in the movie where it's no longer just about white players or black players. Instead, they've become the Titans, the one team together. They're walking the hallways, uh, arm in arm, brother to brother, sharing meals together, and how they realize that they may have had similar backgrounds or circumstances that they have gone through. Through the coaching and through this football team, through this one family unit, it began to break down the walls. And then through that, it broke down the walls in their school. Remember the story, right? And in a way, that's what Paul is helping us to understand that there's no longer black or white or Republican or Democrat or vaccinated or not vaccinated or educated, uneducated or whatever the case may be, kids or no kids, leaders or, you know, volunteers or whatever the story is, higher ups or not higher ups. It's not how the church works. There's not this separation or division of who's better than someone else. We're one family. That's why Paul used the second description saying that he, that God tore down the dividing wall of hostility tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, some may say this refers to the court walls in the Jewish temple. If you guys remember that in the Old Testament, there was this giant court and there's certain places in this court or this temple that people could go and other people couldn't go. Well, there was a certain section where only Gentiles could be a part of and the rest of the Jewish people could go and be closer to the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And they could hear closer some of the songs or some of the messages that were shared, but the Gentiles were stuck on this side of the wall. But when Christ came, he breaks down the wall and he says, I'm a God for everyone. I'm a savior to everyone. So again, I ask you, do you have walls in your heart that should not be there? Are you like your savior in this? Is there a certain type of person or personality that irks you? Do you begin to stray away from them when maybe God has them in your life to bring them the gospel or to sanctify you? What are those dividing walls that are in your heart that are super, super high? And again, we need to unpack that more next week because the power of the gospel can break down any wall. All those in Jesus have become one, one family. And this is why he says in verse 15 that Jesus took care of the law and the commandments. It says the word abolished, a better word would be fulfilled. Remember Jesus said himself, he didn't come to abolish the law, but the word there would be completed the law. He fulfilled the law so that the Gentiles didn't have to keep all the law to get God. Jesus, who is God, kept the law. So if you're in him, it's like you kept the law. Does that make sense? So in Jesus, he accomplished or fulfilled the law. If you believe in him, it's accredited to you like you did it. Like you get the F in school, another kid gets the A and you swap papers. You get the A, you didn't do the work for it. And that's what's happening here. He's saying, this is all that was happening, but God came to break down for them. And this is, listen guys, this is when Paul starts aiming towards the Jews. Can you kind of feel that in the message here? All the Jews are like, well, they're not keeping the law. They're not circumcised and they're not washing their hands well and they're not washing their feet well. They're not putting on robes. They're not doing bells on their legs. They're not doing the tapestry in their house. They're not putting things above their, they're just giving law after law, law, how good they are and how bad the Gentiles are. And so Paul in this message begins to turn his attention to the Jews. He's like, hey, listen, when Jesus came, he accomplished everything that you're holding against them. What God held against both of you, he's not holding against either of you any longer because Christ fulfilled it in himself. So again, I ask you, what do you have against other Christians maybe in your community group or in our church, 
in your family? Is there a dividing wall of hostility that you have let sit there? A frustration with someone that you have not gone to seek reconciliation with them on it? What's that wall? Because the power of God's love, truth, and grace that can break that down. Jesus came and he preached peace to those who are far off and those who are near. So maybe that's a depiction of what's in your life. Someone you need to go and make the gospel known to that's close to you or someone that's distant from you, a high school friend or a previous college friend. But also it means who are you at odds with that's close to you or that's far from you? Because listen, church, all of us are free in Jesus and all of us are one in Jesus. There's no division in him. We are one. So that means in our church one day, guys, this is what we want to have happen. In community groups, we want black, white, Asian, Latino, every ethnicity in between. We want to have Democrats and Republicans and independents and those who don't want to vote all in a group together. We want U.S. citizens. We want foreigners. We want immigrants. We want lower class, middle class, upper class, because we can all be one in Christ. We want educated and uneducated. We want white collar, blue collar, no collar, because we can be one in Christ. We want homeless. We want renters. We want homeowners, home developers, because God can bring us one. We want Bostonians, non-Bostonians, because we can all be forgiven and unified in Christ. And what a beautiful picture that would show to the city that wants diversity, but it can't maintain unity. Have you seen that? Our city wants diversity, but it struggles to maintain unity. In the gospel, you get both. You get diversity, but what keeps them together? It's the unity of the gospel. Guys, what we have is what that world wants, but they can't maintain it. If they have unity, then they don't have diversity. Everyone's just the same way. They look the same. They vote the same. They act the same. They're just cookie cutter. The world either gets unity or diversity. In the church, you get both. A true Christian church, you get both. Because Jesus is the savior who died for all people. So church, we must pursue what? All people, all people, people that irritate you, frustrate you. Like if you think about Fox News and it kills you inside, that's your hostile wall. If you think about people that are vaccinated or unvaccinated or how they drive or what they do or people on your street, whatever irks you, maybe the people that God wants to send you to. And then last, we see this in this text and we'll end here. Last, we see the great reveal. We saw the backstory. We saw this gospel transformation that Jesus can do. And then here's the great reveal, Remember? That moment, the very end of the TV show, when all the work is done and the bus is in front of the house. And then what's everyone screaming at TV show? Move that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Move that bus. And the bus moves. And then what do you see? We got people crying in the streets. They're running in circles. They're going crazy. I would be too, right? P.S. If you guys want to help, you know, build a house for anybody in the church, please do it and invite us all to be a part of it. We'd all love that, right? Bobby's like, yes, amen, I'm with you, bro. Uh, but there's this great reveal and you watch all the hard work and the unity and everyone together and you see this beautiful reveal. That's what you get to see in this conclusion here in verse 19 through 22. It's the great reveal of what God can do. Look at verse 19. He says, so then both of you, Jews and Gentiles, neither of you are strangers, neither of you are aliens. You both belong here. 
you are now both fellow citizens. Remember beforehand, Israel's like, we're my own nation and we're better than everyone else because of the laws that we have. What helped them to be righteous in their behavior made them self-righteous in their heart. And God is saying, "Mm -mm, no longer. What makes you righteous is that I died for you, that I brought you peace. You did nothing. And so therefore extend that to others. So now they, he's kind of breaking up this idea of Israel as a nation. This is a big deal in New Testament theology. This is huge. He's saying that Jews and Gentiles, you're now fellow citizens together with the saints and the members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of what the apostles have said and what the prophets prophesied. You're built on this foundation, which Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone piece in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. And then he concludes verse 22. In him, you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Listen, because of the work of Jesus, the Ephesians, who were Gentiles and foreigners and strangers and uncircumcised are now fellow citizens and family with the saints and members of God's household, the Jewish people. How amazing is that? People that were at odds, hated each other, are now reconciled. Guys, how beautiful, how beautiful would it be see if the church would actually be the ones that lead out on racial reconciliation? Not because of some idea of social justice in politics alone, but through the gospel. What if we see the conflict between certain uh, uh, pieces of, of neighborhoods and police officers were able to be unified, not because of some legislation or conversation, but because of the gospel. Guys, we have, we have what this world is dying for, what they're killing each other over. You have it. Each of you have it. Unity and diversity, you have it. But you and I, in the moments where we could share it and talk about the effects of what God can do, we cower back. So with this story that we're supposed to be built up and we're trying to build this thing, sometimes you and I cower. Why? Why? Guys, let's be a church that builds on this foundation of the gospel and build a city for people to want to live in. But it starts with the church. It starts with you, it starts with me, but churches are often the most segregated hour the entire time in the nation. Sunday morning is. Certain ethnicities go to this church, they go to that church, they go to that church because they all like worship a certain way. And guys, I would encourage us that the church must be the place, the foundation, which all of this can change. So Paul shifts this metaphor to speaking of a, of a building because he probably knew I would use this extreme home makeover illustration. So Paul and his foreknowledge knew that I would use this illustration. So he did it for me, of course, obviously just joking. But Paul says that this household is built on the foundation of what the apostles and prophets started. All of God's messengers were preparing a foundation for this moment, building something that the weight of God's miracle by bringing the nations together could stand on. That through the promises of Abraham, Everyone, every tribe, nation, tongue, one day would have this savior and we would be reconciled. What the world is wanting, Christ has provided it. And what's the most important ingredient of this building? Verse 20 tells us it's Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. So guys, listen, if we want our city, if we want the US, if we want all the news to begin to change, we've got to build it on the cornerstone of Christ. That's why it's so vital 
to make the gospel known because we must give people Jesus so that we can see reconciliation happen in politics or in race relations or whatever the issues of hostility may happen. It's the only thing that can fix it and sustain it is the gospel. Yes, legislation. Yes, education. Yes, care. Yes, but the problem will keep on compounding. We must have the cornerstone of the gospel. We must have people have Jesus so that something can be sustained. Jesus holds up the entire building. He's the foreman. He's the cornerstone. He's the capstone. He's the main cross beam. He's the hundred year warranty. Whatever you may say, he's the security of this thing and people who live inside of it will have this type of unity. So he says, what kind of building are we? What kind of building is this church that's built on Christ? It's a holy temple in the Lord. And obviously this is referring to the Old Testament where God's spirit would be with this temple. When people gathered together, they could feel God's presence. They could hear God speak. And you know what Paul's saying? He's saying that now you and I are like little temples where through the Holy Spirit, God resides and lives actually with us. So we can actually experience his presence. We can be comforted by his word. We can be led directionally in our lives through the counsel of God in us. Listen, this is how our family moved to Boston. This is how we adopted our two little girls. This is how I was called to be a Christian. This is how I was called into ministry. God, through his word, led me because God decided to tear down the walls of sin and then build up a temple with the rubble. Does that make sense? Guys, I want you to see that you and I are little temples And when we go out to our workplace and our neighborhoods, we're going there, bringing the presence of God in us and with us to help them build a cornerstone of Christ where you see God tear down the walls of sin in their own hearts. And then God builds up in them from their rubble, a temple. This is the extreme makeover gospel edition. And the rest of the book of Ephesians is telling these two groups of people how to live as one now. He says, you've been blessed. Here's your background Jews. Here's your background Gentiles. And here's how to live in the rest of the book. He tells them how to live as a family together. So what's the bottom line of this message, guys? God is beautifully building us for his glory and our good. One day we pray that our church would keep growing in strength and heart and in numbers because you all go and share this message. So this week, I just want to challenge you in three ways real quickly, guys. Number one, thank Jesus for bringing you near to him. Thank Jesus for bringing you near to him. Verse 13 said it so well, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were far from God have been brought close by the person and work of Jesus on our behalf. We were dead, now we're alive. We were adopted or we were alienated and now we're adopted. There was a wall of hostility between us and God. He tore it down in his body. Through his death, he tore our wall down and then built us up to be a temple in him. And so that's what we're celebrating in a moment through communion. So church, I want you to spend some time this week to thank God for your backstory and how he interrupted it with his grace to reorient your heart to him and reshape your future with him. Thank him. Number two is bring others near Jesus. Guys, the fact is, Jesus is still about tearing down walls. 
the fact that God is still bringing children into his family daily around the world, and the fact that you are still here in existence on the earth is testimony that God wants to use you to bring others to his family as well. We're gonna focus more next week on the dividing walls that are in our hearts. But this week, I want you to see how Jesus broke down the sin wall between you and him. And who else needs to hear your, your story? Not like you just open up your Bible and start like talking to someone about the Bible passage, which you can and you should. But who needs to hear your story, like your testimony, your backstory? Fast forward to season one of your life. What was it like? What were you hoping for? What'd you build your life on? And how'd that begin to crumble? And how did you see God as the thing that never crumbles? And then you begin to put your faith in him. What was it like for you? Bring others near to Jesus by your story. Your rubble and your life may be the very thing that helps them build their faith in Jesus. Use your story. Then last, maybe you're in this room here and you've never been brought near to Christ. And today I want you to know that God through this text is telling you that he wants you in his family, that our sin is great, but his love is greater. And his death on the cross opened the door so that you could enter in by faith, a faith relationship with him where everything of God's is now yours. Love and grace and truth and hope, all the blessings that we read in chapter one are now yours. If you've never been brought near to Christ and you know that you want this God, would you simply call out to him by faith in your own heart and say, yes, God, I recognize my sins against you, but your grace is greater. You died for the sins so I could be reunited with you. It's your faith. He already did the work, died on the cross, broke down the dividing wall of hostility, and now this gift is for you. Let's pray together.